So I'd like for us to read together. The heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth. Their utterances to the end of the world. In them, he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is good. It's perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, your, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of my hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Does that sound familiar to you? There's a lot in there that, that um, we hear over and over uh, from, from brothers and sisters when they pray or when they teach. And, and it's, I have to say, this is one of the pinnacles of the Psalms. C.S. Lewis wrote, I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. It's most beautiful poetry and most profound biblical theology. Let's look at it a little deeper. The heavens are telling the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. The heavens are telling. Some, some of your Bibles may read declaring. And it, it is simply meaning that they are, they are unveiling or revealing. It's in, in, a, in, a, in a very dramatic sort of way. It's interesting to me that um, we, in English, we read this as a verb. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. And yet in the Hebrew, it's an adjective. In other words, it's the descriptor of wh what the heavens are. They are the telling of. They are the tellers of. It, it is, um, it's, it's simply a description of, of the heavens. 
To me, that's awesome because it, it tells us not only um, about the heavens, but it tells us why the heavens are there. God has purposed to reveal himself and his greatness in, in the heavens, making known, making known uh, his glory. A written report, if you would, or an announcement of, of his glory. Now, the word glory is, is, is a singular splendor, if you will, a, 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 a unique splendor of God and its consequences for, for mankind. It's interesting that word reveals this this uh, vision of a description of, of God's, God's majesty, but it also carries the connotation of, of the consequences of that majesty for humanity. And what do I mean by that? Well, as we, as we can only really imagine the glory of God, the, the scripture talks about those who are confronted with that and falling face down, falling to the ground because they cannot stand before the splendor, the glory of God. In the Old Testament, we, we, wrote, we, we, uh, we read of uh, Samson's parents and uh, they talked about being frightened of, of, of seeing God's glory that they would fall dead. That's the consequence, if you will, of the manifestation of the glory of God. It is, it is life-stopping, if you will. The cool thing is, is that in the glorious revelation of Jesus, we don't need to fear destruction in the glory of God, but rather we get to enjoy, embrace in the glory of God. The glory of God can be um, likened unto his holiness as well. The curious thing about holiness is in the, in the Old Testament, uh, we often think of it as the untouchableness of God. And truly, um, the word itself means totally other. Something completely different. And, and that idea... Is, is something that, that uh, we often associate with the idea that we, it, God is unapproachable. And yet we know Jesus to be the revelation of or the embodiment of all of the characteristics of God, including his holiness. And what did Jesus do? He came to us in the form of a man that he might touch us, not to destroy us, but to redeem us. The scripture boldly declares that God in all his mercy, even while we were yet sinners, reached out to us. That's, that's unspeakable. And truly, that is the very thing that makes God holy, totally other. He's unlike any other so-called God. Any other uh, imagined God on the, on the earth 
is uh, set up as unattainable, untouchable, and uh, unaccessible. Waiting to waiting simply to um, either judge or make random decisions that affect humanity. So Jesus reveals that the God of the Bible is completely different from any imagined God. I say that because there is no other God. And he's totally different than that, those imagined by, by humankind in, throughout history in that he reaches to us to redeem us. He doesn't set himself apart to condemn us. That's amazing. Now, that's a tangent. You're right. But it's part of the manifest glory of God, right? Heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Declaring is a, is a verb. It means to announce or to give evidence of or explain the work of his hands. There's something intimate about that, that phrase. The work of his hands. It's a personal, very personal accomplishment. Some of your, some of your texts may read handiwork. When you think of handiwork, what do you think of? Ladies, what do you think of handiwork? Come on. Crafts, right. Crafts, little detail stuff that, that only you like to do. You know, embroidery or, 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 or painting or something. Men, what do you think of when you think of handiwork? Some, working with tools, right, yeah, handiwork. But handiwork, I, at least in my brain, handiwork means, yes, working with tools, but it's probably working with tools on something small. It's not like... Uh, Building a house is not handiwork. That's just plain labor, right? (laughs) Handiwork is stuff that we do for fun. Can you imagine the thought here that God's handiwork is the expanse of the heavens? It's his handiwork. It's just because he loves to do it. It's part of his creative power. His personality is, is, is strewn throughout. What a great revelation. This is the personality of God that we get to look at every night and every day. Take, a, take a, just a, a small second to listen to the idea that the, the expanse of the heavens is transformed every day, isn't it? During the day, we look up and what do we see? Sometimes we see clouds. Sometimes we see um, just kind of a blank canvas. At sunset, it gets colored. And here in Arizona, it's pretty dramatic. At night, we begin to see stars and planets. And if we're really in a dark place, we can even see what we call the Milky Way. It's amazing. God's personality is not one-dimensional. It has depth. It has, it has breadth. It has height. It is, it is not. It's not simply one dimension. That's an awesome picture of who God is. 
Let's go on. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. The word pours forth here has this connotation of gushing out, just gushing out, or kind of like a stream that never ends. It just keeps coming, just keeps coming. And it's more than any vessel can hold. Reveals. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Again, that's the idea of uncovering or or making known. And the word knowledge here is more than just book smarts. It has to do with understanding. What is the difference between knowledge and understanding? Have you ever thought about that? Understanding is is a full grasp of what the facts mean and imply and the consequences of those facts. It's the the ability to take that, that knowledge and actually put it to work. So as a student, how many of you are like me? As a student, I could learn all all about these uh, math problems and problems is exactly what they were. (laughs) And and I, I could learn all about that. And I learned formulas. I learned them, quote unquote. It was knowledge to me. But I had no conception of why they made any difference. Who in here studied algebra? Who in here uses algebra today? Yes. One or two of us. And and the glorious thing is, is that is understanding. You know why those formulas are there and why they make a difference. And so... When, when, when we read verse 2, day to day pours forth speech, night to night reveals knowledge. That word knowledge isn't just acquired acquisition of, of facts. It is understanding. Now, what is this? Day to day pours forth, night to night reveals. There is no speech, nor there are there words. Their voice is not heard. Now, wait a second. Is that that a contradiction? Because clearly it says day to day pours forth speech. And then verse three, there is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. What in the world does that mean? Well, it means that there's a paradox at work here. It's an inaudible noise. That in itself is kind of a, that does not make sense in our pea little brains, you know? An inaudible noise. And yet, what is happening is even as we observe creation, God is speaking. It is not an audible something, but God is speaking. Verse 4, their line has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun. 
their line has gone out. I love that, that thought because it, it speaks of a measuring line. Now, when uh, I typically think of a measuring line as something that includes uh, a straight line, right? We take a tape measure, that's a measuring line, and it's a straight line. But here, this idea speaks of the, a measuring line that measures the circumference of something. How in the world does that happen? Well, in the real world, it's usually a string, and then we straighten it out and put it on a tape measure and figure out what the circumference is. But this is a measuring line that speaks of, of reaching around. And it speaks of the idea that it's all-encompassing. This, this uh, all-encompassing understanding that God is imparting to us in the heavens, in his creation, is spoken of in Romans chapter 1. Many of you are familiar with that passage. I'd like to read there just a moment. Romans chapter 1. I'm going to lose my place if I don't do that. Yeah, Romans chapter 1. The Apostle Paul writes, beginning in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Where, where is it revealed from? Heaven, right? Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. So they are without excuse. That also brings us back to this idea of the measuring line. Because a measuring line is precise. A measuring line holds with it a clear delineation between that which is accurate and that which is not. That which is right, that which is wrong. That which is of God and that which is, of not, is not. That's all there in all of creation. Another curious thought here at the end of verse 4 is in them he's placed a tent for the sun. What a beautiful image that is. It is carried on in verse 5, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. Again, this is beautiful imagery. It's poetry, Hebrew poetry, and it speaks of the idea of the sun um, finding its resting place. We call that nighttime, right? And how does that work? It happens in the heavens. It happens in the heavens. And the heavens are his tent or the sun's tent. And it, it is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. What in the world is that? 
What is his chamber? Well, it could be the place of, of the wedding vow itself, underneath the hoopah, if you will. It is, it is that, that sacred place where those vows are taken, um, where the contract is made, or perhaps even of where the consummation of the marriage is happen, happens. It's that sense of the joy of of coming forth out of that out of that blessing. Um, it's it's joy that is connected with fulfillment. It's joy that is connected with purpose and being. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. What in the world does that mean? Well, any of, are any of you athletes in here? I love it. I love it. We have no liars among us. That's great. Well, the, the deal is this. A strong man who, is, who uh, uh, really, really delights in, in doing uh, athletic events or whatever, he, he finds his fulfillment in the doing of those things. Um, Eric Little, does anybody remember Eric Little? A few of us do. He was a, he was a, a, a runner and um, also a very, very strong believer, became a missionary. And, and he was involved in the Olympics. I don't remember the year but it was a long time ago. And, excuse me? 1924, thank you. Um, 1924. And just by, I think that was uh, Bill Strickland that said that, is that right? You walking, you walking um, encyclopedia, you? Yeah. So Eric Little is this long distance runner. He's also a very, very strong believer. He goes to the Olympics in 1924, and his qualifying race is scheduled for Sunday. And as a strong believer, Sunday was a day of rest for him. And he forfeited, he forfeited the glory of a, an Olympic medal to honor the Lord. One of his amazing quotes is, is when I, he said, he said, God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. That's this, that's this picture here. It is God's pleasure being worked out in all of creation. As the strong man runs, it rejoices as a strong man runs his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. It's curious. This scripture was written when? A long, long time ago. Yeah, probably close to 3,000 years ago. And 
When did we discover that the earth was round? The scripture, the scripture reveals the truth of creation right here. It's, it's marvelous. The word circuit means that circular kind of course. The rising of one uh, is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. Nothing hidden from its heat. What in the world does that mean? It means he could have been in Phoenix. You're right when he wrote this. The real, the, the deal is this. The sun is, is indiscriminate in who it touches, right? And so is the truth of God. So is the truth of God. It is indiscriminate in who it touches. Those who walk in the joy of salvation need not fear. But God's word is what it is, and it touches all of creation, and it includes judgment. It includes the severity of transgression against God himself. Now, the, uh, the text here in, in Psalm 19 takes a change here, and it's curious because uh, at first glance, you think, well, what did they do? Did, did the compilers of this scripture jam two different psalms together and call it one? Because there's a dramatic shift here. Suddenly, in, in verse 7, he starts talking about the word of God or the Torah. It is, it is God's sacred words to his people. In verse 7, he begins the listing of six different attributes of the Scripture. Six different aspects, let me say, of the Word of God. And there is, with each aspect, there is a description, and there is also an effect. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. Now, I, uh, we passed out some little scripture references to a number of people here tonight. And this is where we get to be like, hey, we're sitting around at home in somebody's really big living room. We're jammed together, and we're going to have a home Bible study right here, okay? So if you have one of those scriptures, when I call that reference, I'd like for you to stand up and read that for us, Okay. As we, as we begin to work through this. Um, the, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. Perfect, without blemish or fault. Psalm 119, verse 160. Psalm 119, verse 160. Yes, yes. Scripture confirming scripture, right? Restoring the soul. Psalm 23, 
verse 3. Anybody have that? Yes. Amen. Amen. Restoring means reviving or converting. Uh, it's the idea of, of transforming or bringing, being, bringing life back into something. Uh, that is what the word of God does. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Testimony is a witness. It's a kind of a, it's a, it's a, it really is a legal term. Um, and it, it, it means providing legal provision. It's sure, it's reliable, it's faithful, it's firm, it's permanent, it's wise, it's knowledge, ability to direct the mind. Psalm 119 verses 98 through 100. I love it. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies. Who wants that in their life, right? Yeah. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Um, wisdom is knowledge and the ability to put that knowledge to work, to direct the mind. The simple is, speaks of those who are humble of heart. Um, the first beatitude, anybody know what that is? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Yeah. If we look at the beatitudes, one way to look at them is that these are qualifications for walking with or knowing God. And the very first one is being poor in spirit, humble in mind. And, and here we see the testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the humble or the simple, the poor in spirit. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Precepts are, are statutes. Now, what's a statute? Anybody a law person in here? What's a statute? Not a statue, a statute. Okay, a statute is, a, is like the, the uh, documentation of a procedure. This is how it works. And if we, if we look at the law, it, it's, it's got statutes that are written, and they, they declare how things are supposed to work out. Um, it's instructions. It, um, this word has the idea of being uh, straight, level, smooth. In other words, you can see clearly. Um, that's the idea of a precept. Psalm 119, verse 128. Yeah, 
I hate every false way. That means a, a false way is, a, is, is something that is crooked, not straight. A false way is something that is bumpy and you can't see straight down the line. And that, that idea of the precept of the Lord is straight. It is right on so that you can see your way forward with it. Um, and what do precepts do? They are right and they rejoice the heart. Rejoicing means to make glad. Uh, Psalm 119 verse 14. Yeah, I've rejoiced in the testimony as much as if I won the lottery, right? Yeah, and what does rejoicing like that look like? I have no idea. <laughs> but I'd love to know, right? Um, rejoicing the heart. The heart speaks of the inner self, our inclinations or our disposition. It's the inner part of who we are, and it includes our will. It includes our intentions. So the, pre, the, the precepts of the Lord include the opportunity for my heart to be transformed in finding joy and walking in that straight line. It's not drudgery. It's joy. Let's go on. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The commandment is a, is a commission, it's, and it's pure, it's unmixed. Psalm 1, no, excuse me, Psalm 12, verse 6. Psalm 12, verse 6. Yeah. Purity has to do with, with being unmixed. The refining of metal includes that process of getting rid of all the impurities. What do impurities do in metal? They make it weak, right? If, if, if the metal is, is uh, mixed up with all sorts of, of impurities, it, it becomes weak and unstable and and we all know, we've heard this many times, that the, the refining process includes a lot of heat. It includes um, perhaps some very difficult things in our lives. Um, and it includes scraping off the dross, putting it off to the side, letting it bubble up and, and pushing it off to the side. How many of you have been through a crisis in your life that perhaps you have not understood some of us go through crisis and we know exactly why we're there, right? Sometimes we go through a crisis and we can't understand, why are we here, God? I do not understand. I thought I was walking in, in your good pleasure. And now suddenly I find myself in this crisis. What is God doing? Is he punishing? No. He's refining. And why is he refining? Because he wants you to be strong. He wants you to be pure. He wants you to be beautiful. He wants you to experience the fullness of his glory. That happens in refining. 
The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Enlightening means to illuminate, to shine. Psalm 36, verse 9. Read the last part of that again. In your light, we see light. What? Yeah. In the light of God's glory, we see what light really is. We have an awful lot of of, uh, counterfeit light in our world, don't we? But in the light of God's glory, we see what real light really is. Enlightening the eyes. Let's go on. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The fear of the Lord. What does that mean? I think very often we think, well, it's got to mean awe, right? But really, the word here means dread. The dread of the Lord. Is clean, enduring forever. I think of Isaiah chapter 6. Here we see Isaiah recounting his vision of the Lord. And what is his response to seeing the glory of God? It's woe is me. For I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. He got a real clear picture all of a sudden of just how impure he is. And it is a sense of dread. How can I be in this place before God? I cannot stand here. Understanding that, understanding it well, leads to purity. It leads to cleanliness. Um, Cleanliness, being pure, has to do also with, with honesty, without deceit. Enduring and standing, standing motionless in respect and set in position. Enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. The judgments of the Lord has to do with the decisions of the Lord. They are true, firm, they're trustworthy, they're constant. Psalm 119, verse 142. Amen. Righteousness is both being right and just. Both of those things. Psalm 119, verse 138. Yes, I love that. Righteousness and faithfulness connected together. That's part, of, that's part of being both just and right, is being faithful. That is God's character being manifest there. Righteous altogether means all at the same time. He's right and he's just and he's faithful all at the same time. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. Psalm 119, verse 72. 
Yeah, and Psalm 119, verse 127. I'm sorry. Ah, uh, better than riches, better than riches. And sweeter, sweeter too. It's pleasant to the taste. Psalm 119, verse 103. Yeah. You know, it's curious. A lot of, a lot of people look at the law of the Lord or his commandments as something that are, is bitter. But it really is transformative for us. And it becomes nourishment for us. And it is sweet. Let's go on. Uh, sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Psalm 17 verse 4. And Psalm 24, verse 5. And Proverbs 29, 18. This idea here is that there is warning, there is caution, there is guarding, there is watching over in, in the Lord's commands. Um, who can discern his errors? Is that a rhetorical question, do you think? Who can discern his, er his errors? Acquit me, uh, equ acquit me of my Faults. Discern, detect, means to perceive. Psalm 40, verse 12. Yeah. This, this reality, when we get a hold of this, this reality is that we are, um, we do deal with hidden faults. There are things that we don't see. And, and the, the beauty of the word of God is that it, it illumines those for us so that we can, um, we can experience acquittal. Let's go on. Uh, also, keep back thy servant from, from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Psalm 90, verse 8. And Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Yeah. 
Yeah. This idea of this invitation for the Lord to look into us and see if there's any, some scripture, some translations read, see if there be any wicked way in me. Um, uh, Psalm 119, 133. Yeah. Don't let them rule over me. Don't let this iniquity rule over me. How many of you know that that iniquity does rule a lot of people? It is, it is, once you enter into sin, it becomes your master. And, and that's, that's what's being spoken of here. Um, verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I love this because it, it, uh, it takes us back to verse 1. Let the words of my mouth, the words of my mouth, look at verse 1. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. Their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Speaking forth. And here we have the psalmist looking back and saying, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be like the heavens, declaring the wonders of God. May these very personal expressions of my life be as the expanse of the heavens, declaring the work of God's handiwork. And may they be acceptable in your, your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The word rock here is not just some random rock laying on the side of the road. The word rock here means like a, uh, a, a big cliff. Anybody ever been to Yosemite? Some of us? El Capitan? That's what we're talking about here. An, an, an impenetrable fortress. My rock and my redeemer, the one who bought me back, the one who paid for me, made me his own. I am found to be safe. I am found to be owned by God himself. It's 8.01, and we've just had a home Bible study right here together. Yeah. There's a lot in here. And I encourage you, I encourage you, if you would, perhaps make it a, uh, a goal of yours to memorize Psalm 19. It's not that long. And you will use it over and over in your life. It will continue to add dividends to your personal life and your interactions with other people. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the treasures that are in your scripture and for the fact that you make them readily available to us. How grateful we are, Lord, that, 
this, this treasure is something that you, you not only give to us to study, but you give it to us that we might incorporate it in our lives, that it might become part of who we are. Lord, we want that. And we invite you to do your marvelous work in us and that our lives would be equally, I don't know, maybe that's a big, too big of an ask, Lord. Is it too big that you would make our lives as clarion and clear as the, the testimony of the heavens that you are great, that you are marvelous, that your power is, a, is incomprehensible and your love is everlasting. Lord, would you enable us and our lives to bear that testimony? Do your good work in us this week, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of your week.